and we're going to keep talking about prayer. If you're here for the first time or you weren't here last week because you were um, on vacation or just sick or whatever it might be, um, we started a series on prayer. I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon from last week that was basically about why we struggle with prayer as people, and hopefully it's a testimony that you guys can relate to. We want to continue this week wrestling with the question of why do you pray? Why do you pray? Why do you pray? You know, in December 2018, I went to Malta, which is a little island. Um, You probably heard of it because of the book of Acts. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't even know about Malta. It kind of looks like it's getting kicked by Italy a little bit there. And it's real small. It's a strange place because what they speak actually a version of Arabic, but the Arabic has uses the Roman alphabet. And, um, but it's got some similarities in the way that it sounds to Arabic. I went to this mission conference and there were representatives from all over the world there, different pockets. It was kind of weird that I even got invited. And they were talking about how God was moving. God was moving all over the world. And um, there were stories miraculous stories from all kinds of different church backgrounds. And when I say all kinds of different church backgrounds, I mean from conservative Baptist to Pentecostal. Every group that came up to share about what God was doing in their region, you know, for example, Central Asia, Southeast Asia, the Middle East, that sort of thing. Every group that came up to share about what God was doing was all saying very similar things. Um, this was, there was a huge move of salvations happening in the Muslim world. There still is. And so you heard countless stories of these miraculous experiences that were happening in the Muslim world, especially in the Muslim world and the Hindu world, but it's mostly sort of coming out of the Muslim world. Stories of people having dreams of Jesus, dreams of a man in white who invited them to, to learn more about him. You know, or someone who had a recurring dream for 30 years about a man in white, and then they wound up running into a missionary, and the mission, they asked the missionary, do you know this man of white that I've been dreaming about since I was a child? I mean, just miraculous encounters of God. We heard stories about miraculous protection that God gave. One man I met, he was former Hezbollah, became a follower of Christ, and the stories he shared about how they, when someone tried to kill him after he became a Christian and how God literally stopped the machete like they could not get the machete to him. And in the following years after his conversion, how he just led thousands of people in Lebanon um, to the Lord. I mean, miraculous encounters indeed. Demonic oppression being undone by Christ's authority breakthroughs into previous unreached people groups, people groups where there previously were no known believers. I kept hearing these stories. And if I'm honest with you, when I heard these stories, it's like I had no canister to put them in, in my brain. That's technically the reason you laugh, by the way. The reason you laugh is your brain is stalling until it can put something in its, see like Scotty's doesn't know where to put that. He's like, Bill's making a joke about laughter. Now you guys are laughing. And it's because your brain's going, oh, loading. And it doesn't know which canister to put it in canister to put it in. And so I didn't have a canister for these stories that I was hearing. And so I left Malta and I said to myself, Lord, is any of this real? Is it all make-believe? The stories that I just heard, if it is real, like, it would be pretty great if we could see some of that in Cape May County. Well, you know, immediately after that, the elders voted to start giving 100% of our December offering to missions beyond what we give throughout the year. That was a miraculous thing. 
you know, maybe not somebody stopping a machete from chopping my head off, but still exciting, right? The unity of the elders to move forward with almost no discussion. It was like a five-minute conversation when we talked about should we just give 100% of our December offering, which we do every year now since 2018. And uh, God moved. Well, about a month later in January, I, was, I went to McDonald's with Mikey White Shoes. He brought the biggest Bible I'd ever seen. I think he needed a wheelbarrow to bring it in. It was this giant version. It was like as big as this speaker of the King James, and he laid it out, and he had his, his, you know, uh, his burger over here. And I said, asked him, I said, Mikey, what are your hopes for 2019? And he said his hope was to grow in holiness. That's what he told me. And he said, what about you? And I said, I really want to figure out, like, what I just experienced and what the heck was going on with that? And I said, I really just, I want to ask God to really reveal himself to me, that I would know him more, that I would experience the fullness of the spirit. And, you know, you would have thought I just told him I wanted to break into a casino in Ocean's Eleven because he like kind of like leaned forward and he dropped down a little bit and he was like, are you ready to be woken up in the middle of the night? And I was like, well, I guess I am. <laughs> you guys know Mikey. God rest him. And so I started to ask the Lord daily, you know, Lord, fill me up with your spirit. I want to know you more. And I fasted for about three weeks, eating only fruits and vegetables, drinking only water. I spent time praying. I spent extra time in the word. I spent time rooting out sin in my life. And on January 27th, some of you were, were here in January 2019. If you went to Revolve at that time, can you raise your hand, please? Some of you, Michaela went. So about maybe a third of you, right? January 2019, something happened and it was almost like a change in the atmosphere. And we had the only thing I could describe as like a mini revival at Revolve. For about four or five weeks, we were going through Haggai, of all books. We were going through Haggai, and many times the service would end with a dozen, sometimes, one time it was over two dozen people on their face praying at the front of the building, repenting. And do you guys remember that? It was crazy. It was crazy. And beyond that, people started coming up to me. I have them all saved in my phone, if you don't believe me. People started coming up to me and telling me that they were having dreams. And they started telling me about their dreams. And I had no canister for what was going on. I just put it in my phone. That was my canister. I put it in the phone. I was like, I'm going to shelf this because I have no idea what is going on. And it was new to most people. And just as quickly as it came, it was gone. Now, God continued to work. It was that year we were invited to Greece. We were invited to partner with these different organizations. And this was all the work of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to say, well, the Holy Spirit's working in the miraculous and not in the seemingly normal, like getting invited to, the, to Greece. That was a work of the Holy Spirit as well. But, you know, those tangible experiences, those five tangible weeks never really came back. And for years, I'm kind of peeling back the curtain, for years, I begged, borrowed, and stole, metaphorically, to claw my way back to that place. I just wanted to get back there. Lord, what do I need to do? Do I need to fast more? Do I need to do this more? Do I need to do that more? And the problem with my reasoning is this. You probably already know what I'm going to say. The problem with my reasoning is that God isn't a formula. Actually, that's paganism. Paganism says if you do A and B, God will do C. That's paganism. God's not a pagan God. He's a relational God. Psalm 115 says our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. It's literally a verse, okay? 
And uh, just because I do X and do Y, just because I pray and fast, doesn't mean God's going to do anything because he's not a pagan God. And so all of this begs the question, building on last week, why do we pray? Why do you pray? What is the reward of my prayers? What is the reward of my fasting? What is the reward of my desperate requests? Is it revival? Is it the Great Commission fulfilled? Is it success in ministry? Is it power in the Spirit? Is it to experience God emotionally, tangibly? Is it to see God uh, give an answer to something that I want? Is it because I want to see different political leadership? are, Are these what God does when I seek Him? Now, none of these things are wrong. But the question we want to wrestle with is, why do you pray? Why do you pray? Why do we pray? We're going to look at Matthew 6. And Matthew 6 is interesting. We're not going to look at the whole chapter. We're going to go about the first half or so. Matthew 6 is interesting because, you know, there's a word that's repeated more than any other word in that first section of Matthew 6, and it's probably not a word you think. It's this word, reward. The word reward is repeated the most in these beginning verses throughout through verse 21. Reward, 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 reward. Continually repeated. You see, Jesus is going to give a list of spiritual things that we do. Fasting, giving alms to the poor, you know, prayer. And he's going to talk about the reason that people do these things. And according to Jesus, he says the reason they do it is because of their reward. But he says it's not the Father's reward. Now, what's interesting about this whole thing is that he never defines what the Father's reward is. He keeps saying that's their reward. It's not the Father's reward. That's their reward. That's not the Father's reward. And so let's look at these verses and see what Jesus is getting at. Verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your heavenly father or your father who sees in secret will reward you. So the first thing that we need to see is that Jesus warns people of doing good so that they might be seen by other people. Now, we don't know if that's their actual motivation or if they maybe it is the motivation of their heart, but we don't know if they realize it. We don't know if they actually realize it or if in their own perspective, in their own mind, they think they have good motivation. Maybe their motivation is to honor God, but it's tarnished. It's not completely pure. We can relate to that. If you're a fan of friends, you know, Phoebe says there's no such thing as a selfless good deed because then it made you feel good and now it was no longer selfless. Okay, and so we know that our motivations are always tarnished on some level, and we see here Jesus is saying that their, their, their secret motive is they want others to see them honoring God. They may want to honor God, but they also want Ryan to see me honoring God, right? I want, that, I want to make sure Ryan sees it. I want to have a good reputation in the community, and so I want to let my light shine before all men, but I really want that dude over there to see me honoring God so that he, like, knows, like, what's up? You know what I mean? 
That's where they're at. And Jesus says, in this way, they have deceived themselves. They may think that their reward is to seek recognition from God, but God isn't impressed. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, you know, I know they mean well. No, he says the only reward that they will get is recognition from man. He says they have no reward from the Father. Jesus' antidote is if you really want to impress God, do these things in secret. This will keep your motives in check and your heavenly Father will reward you. But with what? What is the reward? Jesus won't define it. What is the reward that our heavenly Father gives? Is it an answer to prayer? So like if I, if I do good in secret, then will my prayers be answered? If I do good, then will my marriage be blessed? If I do good in secret, then will I get what? Like I'll get that new job. Like, what is the reward that I'm going to get? Blessing? What's the reward? And we don't know. Verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray on the stage of LCMR. I mean, in the synagogues. And at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. And truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. They've received their reward. But when you pray... Go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So now we move on to corporate prayer. And nobody's going to suggest for a moment that corporate prayer isn't good. Corporate prayer is great. One of the things that we want to see this year at Revolve is a developed culture of prayer, corporate and personal, and in your family. We want to see corporate prayer. And there are people who say they genuinely want to honor God with their corporate prayer lives. And Jesus is saying, once again, their motives are tarnished. Their motives are tarnished. They want people to see them praying. They want people to see them worshiping. They want people to see them praising God. And Jesus says that they may think that they are seeking God's attention. They may think that they're seeking God's recognition, but actually that's tarnished by seeking human recognition. Now, let's be honest. We can relate to this. We like big crowds. We like large numbers of fans, huge Instagram hits. We like when people on X, formerly known as Twitter, retweet, right? How long is that going to go on? Do we have to keep saying that? We can relate to this. Matter of fact, you know, the, our young generation um, has, they, has crushing anxiety. Did you know that? That when you talk to child psychologists, they say that there's been a surge in anxiety among kids who are teens and younger. Teens and younger. And Jean and I were praying about this the other day, and I said, what do you think it is? And then it dawned on me that when we were growing up, and there was no internet, or it was 14.4 kilobits a second, and you had to dial in, and your parents were like, get off the phone line, <laughs> right? And you're trying to, to log into CompuServe to check your email like an idiot, right? But before all that, it's like you were just content to play guitar. It didn't matter if you were the best guitar player in the world, self-taught, pop, 
It didn't matter if you were the best gymnast, the best soccer player, but now you're a 10-year-old and you go on YouTube to look up soccer drills and there's an 11-year-old making videos and all of a sudden you start to say, oh my goodness, I gotta get better. Like this guy's already making YouTube videos. He's already got a following. And then you feel this crushing anxiety because guess what? You're never good enough because there's always someone better than you whose parents have more money than you who are hiring a film crew to make their YouTube videos, and basically you come to the conclusion you're a loser. And so you have this soul-crushing anxiety. So we get this desire to want to be seen by other people. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's what they want to do. They want to be seen. But God has specific words for them. He says, look, this isn't a reward from the Father all those things, that's not how the Father rewards. That's how the world rewards. We see someone who is successful, and we have the Protestant work ethic embedded within us, and we say God's hand of blessing must be upon them because he's famous. But maybe God would say, oh, no, that's the earth's reward, but that's not my reward. It is a type of reward, but it's not from me. Again, we don't know what the reward the Father has. He still hasn't told us. Are you guys following me? Verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Now here, we have people who are seeking the reward of an answer to prayer, which seems completely reasonable, all right? We, we began by saying, why do you pray? Well, you pray because you want an answer to prayer, right? And so there, it's completely reasonable. They're asking for an answer to prayer. And it seems completely reasonable that they should be nagging God, right? I mean, let's just nag God until he gives us what we want. And so through repetition and perseverance and nagarosity, is that a word? No, it's not. Nagging, through nagging. Maybe we can wear God down. Maybe we can impress him with our perseverance. He'll see how devoted I am. Show him how many hours I've logged praying for these things, how many words I was willing to pray. And then God will reward us by hearing our prayer and answering us. Now, perseverance is admirable until it's not. Because as we see in 2 Corinthians, Paul kept asking God to remove this thorn from his flesh. And what did God say to him? Stop praying for it. My grace is sufficient for you. So perseverance is admirable until God says, stop. That does not impress me. Why are you doing this? I already know what you need. I already know what you need. You want the Father's reward? That's not how you get it. It's not with 50 of these prayers, 125 of those. That does not impress me at all. But he still hasn't told us what the Father's reward is. Jesus says, pray then like this. He doesn't say pray this. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Finally, Jesus gives us some insight into the purpose of prayer. 
And we're going to be unpacking these things in weeks to come. But maybe now we can begin to see a little bit more clearly what the reward from the Father actually is. We pray for God's kingdom to be made manifest in the world. So why do we pray? A purpose of prayer is kingdom alignment. Me aligning with God's kingdom. The world around me aligning with God's kingdom. We, we pray for God's power to make us more and more into his image, into his image of holiness. He is holy. He wants us to be holy. And so we want to be more like him. Someone who forgives like him. Someone who is holy like him. Someone who doesn't give into evil as he doesn't give into evil. This is kingdom transformation. So we see there's a goal of kingdom alignment. We see there's a goal of kingdom transformation. And we pray for God's glory to be revealed, for his power and glory to be made known. Maybe some of you, if you have the King James, it says, and yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory. It's not in every manuscript. That's why it's not in some translations of the Bible, depending on what their source text was. But the idea is that we pray for God's glory to go forth, for his power to be made known, that he would be glorified forever and ever. Amen. And so we pray for kingdom alignment, for kingdom transformation, and for kingdom expansion and kingdom glory. And if this is the reward that Jesus has been hinting at, God's kingdom, God's power, God's glory, then you start to get the idea that maybe we've been misunderstanding the reward of prayer all along. Jesus says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. I posted on Instagram, just this lemon water for me today, hashtag blessed. Too blessed to be stressed. I have food you know not of right? Look at this pretty sunrise. Truly, Jesus says, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, he says, anoint your head and wash your face. In other words, take a shower, get dressed. Don't just lounge around in flannel PJs at Wawa, okay? When you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Again, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. So here they fast so people will notice their sacrifice. Talk about how pious they are. Maybe God will reward them. The reward they seek is tarnished once again by attention. But they will not, Jesus says, they will not receive a reward from the Father. Again, what is the reward? that we should be pursuing? What is the treasure that we should pursue? And this is one of those areas where all of those subtitles that your Bible publishers put into your Bible is not very helpful. Because Jesus has been building and building and building, talking about reward, 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 reward. And then what is the next verse? Do not, therefore, right? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. What is the reward? Not the one we seek. 
Do you realize that almost all of the rewards we think about in prayer, think about the rewards of prayer, the majority, not all of them, most of them are temporary. In other words, most of them will be destroyed by moth and rust and time. The reward that we seek is not primarily an answer to prayer, which will fade. The reward we seek is not primarily success, which will disappear. The reward we seek is not primarily health, which will diminish. The reward is not attention, which is fleeting. The reward the Father offers is in heaven. It's a treasure, a reward in heaven. It is a treasure that cannot be stolen. It is a treasure that does not wear out. What is the treasure? Well, where does God want your heart to be? What is the reward from the Father? It's him. It's himself. The reward and purpose of prayer is primarily intimacy with God. You following that? See, the rewards we think we want, the ones we try to earn with our sacrifice, earn with our diligence, are rewards that most often fade away. But there's a greater reward. The reward from the Father. The reward is the Father himself. It's intimacy with our creator. It's intimacy with our maker who is our husband. And so why do we pray? Because ultimately, we want God. He is our greater portion. He is our heart's desire. He is our one thing. He is our beautiful inheritance. Let's go back to the intro story that I shared. Last time around, 2018, 2019, I fasted. But why? Not because I was trying to manipulate God, but because I kept meditating on the reality that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. That was my motivation then. Why did I pray? Well, it wasn't even public. It was not even always with people, but it was lingering in prayer in my living room in the middle of the day. Gina would come home, and I would be praying on the carpet in tears, seeking the better portion as I prayed and and cried over God's word. Why? Because in 2019, in January, I wanted more of God. That was my motivation. I only drank water not because Jesus hates coffee and wine and soda, but because I wanted to drink from the fountain of the living water of the Holy Spirit. So the difference then versus all of the times I tried to claw back was the first time I was pursuing Christ. The other times... I was pursuing the experience of what happened when I pursued Christ. Do you see the difference? Can you say yes? Thank you. The first time, that was my reward. I can finally complete. The first time I pursued the giver, the other times I pursued the gift. The first time I was concerned about my heart, the other time I was concerned about my actions. The giver is always greater than the gift. The heart is always greater than the action. The one who gives grace is greater than grace. 
The one who gives mercy is greater than mercy. God, the lover of my soul, my beloved, who is more beautiful than thousands among thousands, I am him, his, and he is mine. And why do we pray? What is the reward of our prayer? It's intimacy with our creator, God. See, prayer is about intimacy. It's about sitting at his feet and embracing him, not his gifts himself. He is always better. His presence is always greater. It's greater than a successful ministry. It's greater than a bigger house. It's greater than financial security. It's better than health. He is better. And he loves to give good gifts. But do you know what it says in Luke, in the parallel chapter where he talks about the Lord's Prayer? He says, if you ask a father, the father says, Father, can I please have an egg? And the father says, yeah, here's a scorpion. No, he doesn't do that. He gives him an egg. And he says, if you're, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, he says, how much more does your heavenly father know how to answer your prayers? That's not what he says. He says, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit, which is what? The presence of God in us, at work in us, to make us more like the image of Jesus. My question is this, why do you pray? Why do you pray? If we could be a bug on the wall, if we could go and creep into your house and read your journals, why do you pray? Are most of your prayers, what is the focus of most of your prayers? Is it mostly about things that are just disappearing? Things that will be gone in a year, two years, 10 years, 20 years? Do you primarily pray because you want something from God or because you desire God? I wonder how different Revolve, and not just Revolve, but all of the churches in Cape May County, how different would we be if individually and collectively we pursued the true aim of prayer, which is intimacy with the Father? What if our heart's cry as a congregation was intimacy with God above all else, and we begged God for it. We begged God. When we prayed over our kids, we didn't just pray that they wouldn't get into trouble, but we begged God that he would make them intimate with Christ. When people came a half hour early on Sunday morning so they could beg God to show up and meet his people, what if that was the, 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 what if that was the tenor of our prayer at Revolve? Do you think God would do amazing work? Do you? Why don't we do it? And what's holding us back from starting What's holding us back from pursuing that kind of prayer culture? A prayer, a prayer culture that cries out to God and says, God, we want to know you. And we want to be known by you. We want to experience the power of your resurrection, even if it's through suffering. Because to know you and be known by you is greater than life. What if that was our heart? That's the heart of the Father. If our desire is to know him more. The entire gospel is about reconciliation of relationship, which is about being known by and knowing God. It's the focus of the gospel. What if this was the thing we craved? Him. Psalm 27.4, I'll end with this. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life 
to gaze upon the beauty of the temple of the Lord and seek him in his temple. Amen. Let that be our heartbeat. Why do we pray? To know God more. Ask the Lord this week to truly give you insight into your own heart. Pay attention to your prayers. Are your prayers self-focused or are they worship-directed, fed by the Scripture, led by His Spirit for His glory and your good? Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would meet us. Every single person in this room is in a different place in their walk with Christ. Some people might not even know you. God, but we pray that you would meet us. You stand at the door and knock. You want to come in and dine with us. May we invite you in, Lord. And may we linger with you like Mary and not be busy just serving you like Martha. Lord, teach us to pray. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.